marvelous how wonderful in my song shall ever be oh how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love Let's go to the Lord. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight, and let's ask the Lord to work in our hearts through His Word, and uh, that we would be a unified church. And it can not everybody's able to be here, but it can begin with us, and of course those that's watching online. Let's pray, Father in heaven, God, we thank you for who you are, God that you're a king of kings and lord of lords that you sent your son the lord jesus christ to this sin cursed world god god thank you that he lived a perfect sinless life and that he went to the cross and bore our sins and satisfied your demand for the payment of sin in full god thank you that he rose from the dead This one, thanks, bro. All right, one, two, one, two. Can you hear me there? Good? 
All right. The reason why we're so uh, trying to get all the technicalities of this thing here is because we would like this to become um, useful material for the church. And so since we are going through, it's basically a course uh, on different topics. And so we would like for new members, people joining the church and stuff like that, if they want to get a deeper understanding on certain topics and stuff, we will hope that we would have a recorded uh, way to give it just to give it to them in the form of video so uh, by the way Brent I got this from here so probably yeah cool um, so great all right so we're gonna try I'm gonna try to do a couple of things at the same time here to see how it goes so today um, we're going to uh, and by the way you have some handouts there if everyone has a handout that's awesome cool yeah. great uh, so today we're going to be looking at a curriculum that it's, is called Living as a Church. And so we're excited to be actually learning this together through this course. And uh, the name of the course, um, it, it reflects, of course, what we would like to see uh, in our church. And that's how to live as a church, how to live as church members. Uh, and the first topic is uh, living as a, uh, or in, in unity. So now, this is what we're going to be doing for the next 13 weeks. So this is a 13-week program, uh, which is actually put together by Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and they openly um, uh, give the material out for, for churches to do. And so we're going to jump in with their program and, and adapt some of the They allow us to adapt and personalize according to our church and our needs and our priorities, and etc. So we're going to be looking at that. And so... Um, through the 13 weeks, uh, we're going to be seeing 13 topics. And so those include, by the way, they're in the back of your bulletin um, it's, uh, or your handout. It's week one. Today we're going to be looking at unity. Then we're going to be looking at membership, diversity, preaching and prayer, governance, church fellowship, discontentment and with within the church, church leadership, church discipline, encouragement, serving and giving, corporate worship and evangelism and so these are the th 13 topics or the 13 themes that we're going to be seeing throughout this time uh, in this um, so it's going to be more than 13 weeks as far as like a realistic timeline because we have sometimes four weeks five weeks then we have our first uh, um, uh, Thursday of the month with creation uh, Thursdays and so it'll, it'll go for, for a good amount of weeks which is great because we can grasp this concept together in a in a very detailed way right so uh what are the class materials so bring your bible bring a notebook and pen if you like and uh the handouts are provided and any size of enthusiasm and interest would be awesome so that would be great for our course right here um so jumping in um no before that though what is the format that we'd like to have for these SOHOP lessons or um, course, right? So uh, this is going to be a type of hybrid lecture. And what that means is basically that it's it's won't be a strictly lecture to where it's only one way, right? We're going to have, uh, it's going to be mostly one way, but we're going to have a, a, a sometimes for questions. If you're on the tech side, you can actually go to slides.app.google.com slash that right there. Even if you're at home, you can do that. And you can send in a question. I will be able to see it. And we can answer it. So you can write it down. If you want it to be anonymous, you can do that, or you can put your name on it. Also, if, I, if, if you're prompted by the lecturer, you can answer questions. And at the end of the lesson, we can do an open question time. And also, we have a limited comments or questions that are accepted upon raising your hands. Uh, but the methods above are encouraged just for a better flow of the lesson. But of course, we can discuss things as we go. Um, so why are we doing this curriculum or this particular topic or theme at uh, SOHA? Uh, a couple of things that we can think of is that at Cornerstone Church, we believe in biblical membership. And what that means is that we believe that the Bible is clear in showing that the membership within the body of Christ does not only exist uh, universally in, in, in all times as part of God's family, but also this membership exists within the local church. And so as a physical reality of the spiritual reality. And so as we are part of the body of Christ, we're also recognized that we are part of each other. And the local church is the place where we are held uh, accountable and where we can commit to one another, to love one another, and to show Christ. And so 
to get a better understanding of that, of what it means to be the church, we, we, we chose this topic for that. The second reason is that we attain a better understanding of what it means to be the local church, uh, a local church member in the church of Jesus Christ. And so as a reminder, we have, you know, we will see our identity as the body, our responsibility, and our commitment to each other. So these are some of the things that actually the elders were talking about as far as what do we need to hear first as a body, together as a church. And so we thought that this is a very important thing for us to start our SOHOB, uh, SOHOB lessons with. So jumping right in. So, uh, and I'm going to ask this out. You can actually respond to this. Why is unity important to the local church? And this is, anyone can answer. Why is unity important in the local church? Yes, and that's why that actual representation, that uh, an, a analogy itself is so real about what it means to be the church because we cannot imagine a living body living apart. <laughs> a living body exists because it's all put together and each function has its, 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 its essential uh, function in order for it to live to start with. And so that's great. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. Well, um, so this is great. So let's start off uh, this class on unity very simply. In short, this class exists because of three simple facts that are found in Scripture. And so if you have a Bible, you can uh, start looking up uh, Ephesians. There we're going to kind of camp out and skip on some verses, but Ephesians 2 and 3. Um, but first, um, God has called Christians to be within him forever, but for a time, he's left us in this world gathered into local churches. Secondly, he has chosen to use our life together in churches as a primary method of displaying his glory. And thirdly, because we're sinners. Now, the first two facts work well together, but the third fact kind of complicates matters considerably. Uh, someday, the whole world will bow before God and acknowledge that he is Lord, but for now, God in his wisdom has left the task of displaying the glory of his perfect character through the very imperfect people who compose his church. Amen. And the question on how of how that can happen is the focus of this class. How can imperfect, messed up people like us function function together as the body of Christ, right? So and in particular, our goal is to understand the opportunities and responsibilities that we have as church members. So how is it that we as sinners can gather together as a local church where unity abounds, right? And not a forced unity that denies differences or overlooks uh, difficulty or compromises the message of the gospel, but a real unity acts as a compelling testimony to the power of the gospel. How can that happen? How is it that as sinners, right, we, we can respond to sin in our midst without descending or gossip or slander, or at least that's our aim, right? How can we trust our leaders but still recognize that they are sinners too? How can we love people who make us feel uncomfortable because they're so different from us? How can we critique an imperfect church without grumbling? So for those who have been around churches for any amount of time, and most of us have, we've probably noticed that these goals are tough to achieve, right? So too often, churches become places of division, grumbling, and bitterness. And too often, churches fail to display uh, to the watching world the power of the gospel um, that should be at work within them. So our goal in this class is to explore a, a practical blueprint on what makes a church healthy and united. So sound doctrine expressing itself in unifying love that glorifies God. We want to see that, amen? So my prayer is that each one of us would leave this class with a better understanding of what the Bible says about being a unified church with some very clear ideas of what we can do to build unity in our midst. And so um, today for this class, I'm going to begin by looking at the idea of unity, mainly by using the descriptions that are found in Ephesians 3 and 4. 
of what it means to be a church. And next, we'll look at some counterfeit versions of unity and contrast them with real unity and talk about the reasons unity in a church is so important. So let's start out by answering a foundational question. What is God's plan for the local church? So let's back up, and even before thinking about unity, let's think about what is God's plan for the local church. So the Apostle Paul lays, lays it out in Ephesians chapters 2 and 3. So if you have a Bible, we can look at chapter uh, 2, and it begins with the uh, verse 1. So uh, uh, Mike, if you can read just 2 verse 1. So, beginning by seeing that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And so, uh, Bill, you can read verse 5 if you got it there. And, amen. Oh, sorry. Amen. And so, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. And then, if you can read verses 8 and 9, Chris. And so we see God's plan for us rescued, right, from damnation, from condemnation into his family, brought in the precious gospel that brings us in and that saves us. But you, as, as we can see here later on as the chapter continues, that gospel there doesn't end only with our salvation. It leads to some very disruptive implications. And implication number one is actually unity as Paul writes of Jews and Gentiles at the end of chapter 2 God abolished the dividing wall of hostility that we read in verses 15b to 18 and so I'm going to read this one that he might creating himself one new man in place of the two talking about the group so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near as well. For though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So note that the gospel alone creates unity, right? The, the fact that anyone can come to the Father and believes. And that, that's the essence of John 3, 16, right? So that anyone, and that's what he actually meant exactly there in that verse, right? John 3, 16, God has loved the word that he Send his one and only son so that whosoever, not only the Jews, not only Nicodemus, who was probably listening around, but anyone. And so it is the cross by which Christ has put death, their, death to their hostility. And after all, what else could we ever bring together? To, how, how else could we bring together two peoples with such different history, ethnicity, religion, and culture? I mean, looking back at the Jews and Gentiles, there's no group of people that was so different as they were right and, th and that uh, as we can see in chapter 3 verse 10 now as we progress along the intent was that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places so take a group of Jews and Gentiles who shared nothing in common except for a centuries old loathing of, some of one another right so a shadow of that in our context might be people with different cultures or political backgrounds. You know, we think bring them together into a local church and they rub shoulders together on a regular basis and things might explode, right? But no, or it shouldn't, right? Because one of the things that they do have in common is their bond in Christ. They live together in astonishing love and unity. So unity that is so unexpected, so contrary to how our world operates, that even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms sit up and take notice. That's actually what Ephesians 3.10 says. So if somebody can read that, Rusty, Ephesians 3.10. The manifold wisdom of God that transcends his heavenly host so that they can see and, 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 and look and see, oh wow, God is working something out here with these humans that is called the church. 
And how much glory does that bring to our Lord, even beyond the church in itself, to where God transcends His heavenly host for them to behold the work of the church. How amazing is that to God's glory? And now it makes it even more difficult for us to even comprehend what it means to work this thing out that is called church, right? When we have angels looking down at us to uh, amaze at it and give glory to God. <laughs> but as we continue to see here, this unity, as we continue to explore through Ephesians, has two dimensions here. And it's notable for uh, to note here. So first, it's breadth. It's breadth. That is, that it stretches to all peoples, as we saw in the evidence earlier, as divergent as the Jew and the Gentile, or the Costa Rican, the Canadian, the, what else? Romanian, American, right? New Mexican. Anybody here from now? I don't think so. <laughs> or old Mexican. So, which glorifies God by reaching people who, apart from supernatural power, would never unite together. And remember Ephesians 2.18, for through Him we both have access to one Spirit in the Father. And now secondly, the, this unity is notable for its depth. That is, that it doesn't merely bring people together to tolerate each other, but to be tightly committed. Uh, so tightly committed that Paul can call them a new humanity and a new family. So Paul reaches down for the natural world's deepest bonds, the bonds of ethnicity and family, to describe the new community in the local church, something as intimate as family, right? And how Paul says, yes, you once you are in Christ, all these backgrounds, yes, you have them, but once we are in Christ, we are a family. So unity with supernatural breadth and, de and depth makes visible the glory of an invisible God. This is the ultimate purpose statement for unity in the Ephesian church. This is the ultimate purpose statement for unity at our church. And these two concepts will be really important for this SOHOP course now from now on. In fact, we'll, we'll have an entire class, I think it is next week, on the depth of unity as we think about the commitment of church membership, for example. And an entire class later on on the breadth of unity as we think about the diversity as defining mar uh, as a defining mark of the local church so this is our call as a church but that calling has some competition which i want to play out for you now and that's what i had called earlier the counterfeit unity so we have the unity that should spring from the gospel and that creates uh, that bond between us that otherwise would not be possible but then we we have to c examine for a little bit a counterfeit unity now the first one is an organizational unity so the problem that we have whenever we begin talking about christian unity is that some people define christian unity as the idea uh, that all people who call themselves christians should organize together or at least cooperate together as a single recognizable body so they say that existence of different denominations proves the world that we're not united and how many of us have a, have heard talks about that right and w what is a technical word for this efforts ecumenism and so one challenge of this view is that it doesn't leave any room for loving disagreement right for example we can disagree with our presbyterian brothers and sisters over baptism and still do all sorts of good things together for the gospel and share the, the core truth of the gospels with them. And in that sense, denominations actually showcase our unity in the gospel more strongly than if we merely pretended their disagreements di didn't matter. And another difficulty with this view is that at the end goal of such unity uh, is, is what the end goal of this unity would be. There are many who call themselves Christians but who would disagree with our church on such fundamentals as who God is, what people must do to be saved, even whether we need to be saved from sin at all. And that means that organizational unity for the sake of organizational unity can actually utterly confuse the world about the nature of Christianity and of the sake of the gospel. So it is certainly a good thing to cooperate with others for the sake of a common goal, 
But while it's a type of unity, it is not the supernatural unity that Paul speaks about in Ephesians. And so I think it's an important distinction for us to make that there is a desire for ecumenism among a lot of people that confuse them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not amongst us at least, but in a general sense that desires to have that unity that would reflect what we're talking about here from Ephesians. But what they're really talking about is some common social, social goals, etc. That end up actually confusing more than bringing together people for what really matters. And so this is a counterfeit, one of the counterfeit unities that we see. The second one is the gospel plus unity. So the second counterfeit of true Christian unity is more subtle. And I think we're, we're at more risk for it. But let's see, let's um, take an example. Let's say that Socrates Public School right here, right? A, a Socrates Public School teacher joins our church. So who, who is he naturally going to build friendships with? Who's naturally, go, you know, who's naturally going to under, understand him best? Other teachers, of course, right? So I introduce, you know, so you would introduce him to other teachers and maybe eventually he would get a small group together, you know, for teachers. And sure enough, he quickly integrates into that community and thrives, right? Unity created, right? Mission accomplished, right? We would say, but not quite. What occurred is possibly more a demographic phenomenon than a gospel phenomenon. So teachers gravitate to teachers regardless of whether or not they're Christians. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be with people of similar life experience. It is entirely natural and can be spiritually beneficial. But if, but if this is the sum total of what we call church community, I'm afraid that we've built something that, the, that, would, that, would ex, that would exist even if God didn't. So meaning it's already happening in the wide world, right? That's AKA Facebook groups, right? They're for everything. I mean, there's a Facebook group for Latinos who like the NBA, who eat Scandinavian food. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's groups for everything. So in contrast to what we see in Ephesians, this unity is something that we're going to call the gospel plus unity. So in a gospel plus community, nearly every relationship is founded on the gospel plus something else. Some common interest in commonalities that <coughs> unites them rather than easy flowing, rather in a rather easy flowing way. I mean, we have to admit that it is really easy to flow with people whom we have a lot of things in common. So we'll take an example, Sam and Joe, they're both Christians, uh, the Christians. they're both in their early, early 40s, they're single. They share a passion for custom-made trucks. They're both photographers. No offense. I'm just throwing an example. And in the Gospel Plus community, we use similarly to build community. In contrast this with this gospel-revealing community. Now contrast this Gospel Plus community with a gospel-revealing community. In a gospel-revealing community, many relationships would never exist except for the power of the gospel. And can I hear a hurtful amen? <laughs> Either because of the depth of care for each other or because two people in a relationship have little in common but Christ. And sure, affinity-based relationships can also tr thrive in the church, but they're not the focus, right? They happen naturally. Instead, we focus on helping people out of their comfort zones to build relationships that wouldn't be possible apart from the supernatural. And so this community reveals the power of the gospel. So let's think of it as the example of the balloon that is rubbed against your shirt, right? At first, I think. Yeah. And then the static. And, you know, it's been so long since they did scientific. I got to get the girls to do this one. And then with static electricity, right? Then we hold it over somebody's head who's got this wispy thin hair, right? And what happens? Their hair reaches for the balloon. You can't see the static electricity, but its effect, right? The unnatural reaction of the hair, it's, that's unmistakable. We can see that. So the same goes for the gospel re revealing unity. You can't see the gospel, 
but it's simply truth. But when we encourage unity that is obviously supernatural, it makes the gospel visible. I wonder if you can think of relationships you have in this church that you have only because Christ has brought you together. I can think of some in my own, in my own life that I've observed. I wouldn't rub shoulders with, you know, with somebody in the world. <laughs> but because, you're both, because we're both in Christ, we have a family-like care, a concern and an affection for one another. It's a supernatural thing. And the love is making the electricity of the gospel visible to the world. And that is the end goal, right? So does this mean that we should flee any relationships when we share something else in addition to Christ? Should I not be friends with other married men in the church who like soccer and IT? Right? No. God uses our... We have many of them in here. I can choose them, right? I mean, at least I have one that shares one in common. <laughs> soccer? No, not many. Yeah, next. <laughs> so God uses our natural similarities. And even church has a certain culture, a certain feel, a certain primary language, and even a certain cultural majority. But it would be dishonest to suggest otherwise, to say that a congregation really shares nothing in common but Christ, like it's attracted to like, you know, like, uh, like it's, you know, like it's, um, hold on. To say that a congregation really shares nothing in common but Christ, right? I mean, we, we are sharing a lot of commonalities. But it is important question is whether we will let the differences become a barrier to fellowship. And this is something that we, that we have to uh, just think together, right? Or an invitation to engage in fellowship to glorify the gospel. Will we insist on ministry by similarity, which feels natural? Or while recognizing our tendency towards similarity, will we set our aspiration on community where dissimilar people enjoy remarkable fellowship only because of the supernatural bond of the gospel. So we, we need to think about these questions. Unity that matters, that accomplishes God's purposes for it, is demonstrably supernatural. It is not unity built around the gospel plus some other bond of similarity. It is unity that reveals the gospel. Amen? So I, wanna, I want us to see what unity is by just within four different um, aspects. So now having looked at these two counterfeits, somebody can shout them out for me, the two counterfeits? Gospel Plus. And organizational, very good. And so having looked at these two, what is the real Christian unity? So the real Christian unity that Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians could be defined as an action, a purpose, a source, and a context. So first, the action is love. And now, you have a little matching game there, so <laughs> if you want to do that there, you can match it up with your in, in, your, uh, in your handout. So the action is love, and in particular, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that crosses societal boundaries. Think of Jesus' words. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Next, the purpose. The purpose is the glory of God as reflected in His gospel. Unity that exists for any other purpose may be well valuable, but it is not the Christian unity that we are exploring here. Now, thirdly, is the love of Christ is the source. The source is the love of Christ. We love because He first loved us. Love that is supernatural, that can only be explained by the power of God at work in us. If unity is driven by love that the world is familiar with and can explain away, how will that display the wisdom of the God to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms like we saw earlier? No, right? Unity that glorifies God and vindicates the wisdom of the gospel is unity that is powered by our understanding on how forgiven we are in Christ. How do you, re do you remember Jesus' words in Luke 7, right? He who has been forgiven little loves little. 
And he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And that uh, fundamental understanding of the gospel, what it means that we have been forgiven. If we think about that reality, how much we have been forgiven to ignite our love as we go through the day, man, our days would be... If at any point in time in this class becomes just a list of to-dos, things that you know you should do and probably don't do, right? Then we're headed for the wrong direction. The unity that we're interested in, the unity, the, the unity that is supernatural, has its source, has at its source a deep understanding on how forgiven we are. Not only must Christian unity have as its goal the gospel, but at its core, it must be powered by the same gospel message. Anything less is merely the work of human beings. And now, finally, the fourth one is, or one, two, three, yeah, four. The fourth one is context. A context, while not limited to the local church, works itself out most practically in that context. Those four pieces are the definition of what you see in God-glorifying, gospel-revealing love for all brothers and sisters, fueled by our forgiveness in Christ that expresses itself most clearly in the assembly of the local church. That is Christian unity. God's plan to reveal the wisdom of the gospel to all peoples. God's plan to reveal the wisdom of the gospel to all people through our unity. And so what is a stake here? We've been saying that we need to aim for the right kind of unity in our church. That if we don't, we actually compromise God's purposes for the church. But what are the stakes exactly? So if our unity is based on natural bonds of commonalities rather than the supernatural gospel, what are we giving up? Let's start with the mission of the church as stated at the end of the book of Matthew, right? So in Matthew 18... Jesus commissions the church and he tells his disciples to make disciples. So all authority, I'm going to read that, Matthew 28, 18b to 20. All authority is in heaven and earth has, been, earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. So at the risk of oversimplification, there are two main thrusts of this great commission. We are to share the gospel with all nations, including our own, baptizing those who believe. In other words, this can be compiled into two things, evangelism and discipleship. So we are to build up followers of Jesus, teaching them each new generation of, convert, of converts to everything that I have commanded you, as Matthew says. So in other words, that is discipleship. So simply put there in the verses, the focus is evangelism and discipleship. And when we build a local church that is evidently supernatural, we compromise both elements of our commission. We compromise our evangelism if we compromise our discipleship when that isn't happening supernaturally. So why would we compromise evangelism when there is no supernatural gospel revealing unity? So Jesus' words in John 13 describe our power in evangelism. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? Come on, shout it out. What is it? If you have love for one another. By this all men will know that you are disciples if you love one another. Do we see the actual importance of this topic today of unity? If you love one another, everybody, one another, the world, the church. And not just any love will do, right? The prior verses set the standard for this love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love with depth of the cross. Love with breadth. Oh, to reach from heaven to earth. The love that will mark believers 
in the world's eyes as followers of Jesus is the same kind of costly, God-exalting, supernatural love that Jesus shows us. Now, does love exist in a community that's formed around something other than the gospel? Of, of course it does. Think of the kind of community that you would find in a, at a softball team or your frequented Facebook group page or your different clubs that you belong to or anybody would belong to. There's friendships there and even affections there. And that's a wonderful thing and it's real. But this is the... But it is the inexplicable without God love that Jesus describes. It, is this the inexplicable with, uh, love that Jesus describes in, in John 13? I don't think it is, right? It's the love that, that the world recognizes. Instead, is the love of John 13. And Ephesians 3 is the supernatural love that sets the difference. So when community in the local church defies natu natural explanation it confirms the supernatural power of the gospel when community in the local church defies natural explanation it confirms supernatural power of the gospel so what is the cost of community in the local church that is not evidently natural or supernatural sorry so back to john 13:35 we suppress what god intends as gospel confirmation Evangelism without supernatural community is like push, pushing water uphill. It's like doing a show and tell without the show. Because we serve as a, a gracious God, He is still pleased to save souls as we tell the gospel. But without supernatural community, evangelism lacks the primary witness that God has given to show of the power of the gospel to the world. How many people by raise of hands have heard people say that they're not into Christianity because of how they've seen other Christians? Right? By this you know, by this you let the world know about me, by loving one another. So this is the importance, guys, that we want to reflect from the get-go here with our first non-creation, so-hub <laughs> lesson, right? The unity of the body of Christ. This is what is a stake, basically. This is what's a stake. This is what we're talking about here. The supernatural community that plays a primary witness. And as we, as we are seeing, so that was the evangelism part. And also, the second thing that we compromise is discipleship. Take a look at Ephesians 4.14. Paul says that the goal of our life together within the local, the local church is so that and if you see it there in verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking tr the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ so that's what we want to see in Cornerstone, right? A body of believers standing firm in obedience to Christ. And this is the second piece of the Great Commission. Even as we're buffeted by false doctrines and by human scheming, we hold firm to the trustworthy message of the gospel. What you see here is maturity, holiness. We grow up into Christ. So now, where does this come from? Paul gives us a beautiful chain in the preceding verses that shows how this maturity comes from Christ. In verse 7, Christ gives gifts to the church. Verse 11, those gifts are leaders like prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers who teach his people in his word. And their job in verse 12, very importantly, verse 12, to what? To equip the saints for... Warming up benches. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And until verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith. So do you see that? So who is it that God calls to the job of ministry? All believers. Exactly, Mike. Mike, Mike. 
that's that's what they started calling you that tonight so that's it sticks <laughs> it is mainly is it is it mainly the elders who do the work of the job of ministry is it the elders uh, the church sets aside full time or the other pastoral staff or is it the people who have uh, enrolled in some volunteering roles here and there right that's, a, that's actually the actual statistics but ministry is the work of the saints right it is the job of every believer so that means that you that if you're a member of cornerstone the holiness and growth of every other member is in some way your responsibility and so it is the unity of the whole so what role does spiritual supernatural unity have here it's the members responsibility to disciple one another into greater into into greater maturity in Christ amen but we can't fulfill that job if the church is characterized by division tension bitterness avoidance and selfishness yes and immaturity Yes. 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 <laughs> if you have, if you need it in Romanian, Lavi has it in Romanian. You can read. Yes. Foundational. Yes. Yes. And that right there, what you said there, is one of the greatest pieces of counseling you can ever give to marriages. Right there. Bec yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes. 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 
Right. Yeah, and, and that's the reason why the deeper understanding of love is mistakenly is mistaken so much as you said that uh, even though you're going for the deeper, because there is still an un a basic understanding superficially, and all that carries in their character, and as you see, the renewing or lack of of their minds in Christ, then they are not able to see that you are really working the love. Right, because to that definition, it is the sentimentalism, the covering, the let's get it over with, what's at, you know for the sake of making somebody feel good or feel better, and uh, and that's what and that's why like you're saying the the definition of love has to be brought back, and so venues like this is what we hope to be bringing in order to you know make those things come back. <laughs> Right. Yes. 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 It's a type of love that we just let Mitchell go upstairs without telling him anything because we love him. But it's, it's that type of, it's, it's, you know, the world actually already said something mistakenly. They are saying, what's love got to do with it? Yeah. Well, it's because they don't understand that type of love. And that is true. A renewing of mind that is such one that works agape love <coughs> in us that goes beyond looking at touchy-feely. And that's why I was saying that marriage sh either shows that perfectly or shows that terribly. Because when we stop at you know, when we, when we stop feeling what our definition of love is, then that's when we want to bail out, right? Because we, we, you know, there's no understanding that love is a decision and a commission even to put other needs before our own and to put them before us and to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for us. And so that is painful, that is difficult, but that is exactly what brings supernatural unity. Because we, we've already worked out that love enough in us, as we have said earlier, because we understand that we can wake up every morning, every morning, if we could every morning wake up and think that we have been forgiven so much, then I think that we can start working out supernatural unity at a level where it's going to hurt.
but where God will be exalted and his word will be obeyed. Right? So. Amen. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Big. <laughs> right yeah, exactly so we're and that's exactly where we are we're just broken people sharing with each other what God has revealed for us so <laughs> so um, to continue on so unity is the fertile soil in which the, this building up into maturity can occur and counterfeit gospel plus unity won't do the job either as we were talking about only commonalities and so even in that example that you were giving brother we can probably say, see that they were looking for some kind of counterfeit unity type in a way that they were trying to you know s yes mm, which is good the church model of governance there yeah By the way, we're going to vote about the color of the carpet here in a minute after this meeting. <laughs> and so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are, that there are many parts, yet the body, and he has, is one, right? And he has given us different uh, gifts precisely that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So, if you only hang out around the other ears then you can't receive the beneficial influence of the eyes and elbows and toes right and so let's say that we've got a church where community is pretty much non-existent where people show up for the sermon but don't have any relation much relationship beyond that community with no depth or let's say that instead of a church I've got a bunch of old Christian friends from my old sports team that we catch up weekly to hold each other up accountable and, encur and, and encourage each other up. Community with no breath. So we see what here. One is community with no depth. And the other one is community with no breath. So what's wrong with these? Well, neither is evidently supernatural. And without supernatural community, we will struggle in our task of evangelism. And in our task to present each other mature in Christ. So God is amazingly gracious and kind. So I can't say that we will necessarily, <laughs> that we will not necessarily fail. But supernatural unity is how God intended us to fulfill the great commission. So in conclusion, in conclusion, that's our introduction <laughs> to unity that we'll build upon on the, on the rest of the course, right? This is our first uh, our first uh, class or lesson lecture. So over the next 12 weeks or however long we take, we'll be thinking practically about how we can build a church whose unity protects and displays the life-changing message of the gospel. And as Psalm 133.1 says, let's just read it together. How's that? In unity, right? So it says, one, two, three. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Amen. And that's our aim, that that gospel-driven love would have us have religious, genuine affections to, s to actually say that it is good and pleasant when brothers and sisters implied come together in unity. Are there any other questions and comments before we pray tonight about what we've talked about?
Yeah. I think that uh, analogy, that uh, analogy of the of the uh, y you know the the three grades of of doctrinal uh, urgencies, the triage, theological triage. I think it is actually implied here, also, where you can see you know if we share the gospel in common, yes, you know let's build together, let's have let's be church together as we are here. And secondary issues, well, maybe we cannot necessarily have um, weekly fellowship together, but we're still standing you know, in the same truths of the gospel. And then the tertiary issues are even like, we can we can have church together because, you know, you're a millennialist, I'm post-millennialist, but hey, we will see Christ when he comes. That's what we agree on. <laughs> so, <laughs> one time or one and a half times, but he's coming, right? So, <laughs> and so all, all those things can apply with that theological triage as well. It is when there is a desire to obligate their understanding of primary things to match up with our understanding of primary things in order to have some effort together that things are not supposed to be working. So in the supernatural unity that brings us together, it's just such a beautiful thing and, and I think that it's important for us to think about that otherwise, yes, many of us wouldn't be together if it wasn't for the gospel and how we can actually care for one another, love for one another check up on one another. I mean, we, we see that here daily, weekly, in our groups. We check on one another. We remember that, hey, my dad is doing like this, or your mom is doing like that, or I know that you're sick, or I know that you're needing this. Um, and, and how those needs um, can, can even hopefully even go deeper into we, how we can help each other uh, in certain areas that we're struggling with and, and stuff like that. So I think uh, we will be seeing a lot of those important points coming up in our in our living as a church um, series of lessons here. So let's go ahead and pray. So before it gets any later than that, I'm going to ask Chris to go ahead and close us up, and then we can do whatever. <laughs>